Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 22. Somebody already asked uh, in the sound booth there, somebody came up to me and said, are you, guys, are you going to be talking to somebody this morning? Like, what's going on? So what I want to do this morning is, uh, some of you might remember back in 2018, uh, we did a series called Conversations with God. How many of you guys remember that series? How many of you were here for it? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? How many of you kind of want to go home and take a nap? Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Okay, don't say anything like that. Um, a couple years, like I said, a couple years ago, we did a series called Conversations with God. And what we did was we kind of sat back and, and thought for a moment, if we could sit down with God and have a conversation with him, if we could sit this morning and, if you will, like have coffee with Jesus and just say, hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Like, what would you say to this topic or that topic? Maybe some things that aren't to us as we look through Scripture aren't, aren't clearly laid out in Scripture. We don't have to ask Jesus, hey, what do you think about murder? Is that, is that good to murder Jesus? Would that be okay? You don't have to ask that question because Scripture is pretty clear on that, right? We know certain things are pretty, really black and white. What do you think about you being the only way to salvation? Well, he would say, uh, I am. Like, that's, that's all we need to know about that. But in sometimes in life, we go through things where we ask questions like, man, what would God say about this? What would God say about that? Well, in 2018, uh, we did eight weeks of this series, and we talked about everything from tithing to homosexuality to sanctity of human life, to what would God say about faith, um, all these things. And you can either get the CDs, which we have at the Welcome Center there. You can actually check them out uh, like a library for four weeks um, and then just return the series back when you're done. Or you can access everything that we've done online. You can get it on your app, on the website, northgoodland.org, um, or your app store. You can go and search for uh, North Goodland BC, and you can access all of these sermons on there. And uh, I pray that it would be an encouragement to you. But as I was thinking through the coming four weeks, I thought, you know what, Lord, we're going to do conversations with God kind of a 2020 edition. And, and I'm going to talk over the next four weeks some different topics. Uh, we're going to talk about, like, what would God say about church? Now, you might think, well, that seems like a pretty easy black and white one. Do people really have questions about what would God say about church? Absolutely they do. And so we're going to talk about that just a little bit. We're going to talk about what would God say about evolution. Um, and we're going to ask some questions in that regard. Um, and so we're going to talk about a few different things. And so, but obviously, let me just say this. In 45 minutes or more, um, amen. Um, it's so funny this morning. Sandra's like, oh, I got to put this chicken in the crock pot. Do I put it on low or high? And I was like, well, if you put it on high, how long does that got to cook for? So now I, I have a time in my mind that I know what she said it to and what we need to be done by. So um, we're just going to, oh, we, let's pray. Amen. Praise God. Let's go home. Um, in, in a 45-minute message, no matter what topic we're talking about, we're not going to exhaust every possible application. But that's okay. That's not really my agenda today. My, my objective is not to answer every single thing you might have a question on. But what I want to do is kind of give you a broad approach, some real basic principles, some key things from God's Word that I believe we can build some thinking on. And then what I would love to do is continue the conversation if you would like. So if you have questions about any of these sermons um, and you want to talk more about it, you can either email me, you can come by the office, we can talk. I would love to have a conversation about it. But I want to stress, um, and I said this two years ago, if, if you come in and you say, hey, I want to talk to you about something that you preached on, we're going to have a conversation. And, and I may look at you and go, man, that's a good point. I never thought about that and change my view a little bit. But I, I look at conversations as the point of both individuals coming to a point of realizing the other person and where they stand. Uh, some people have come in over the years of ministry, come in and said, I want to talk to you about something. And really what they mean is, I want to tell you how you should think about this or that. 
And then if you don't change, they get mad at you. Anybody ever have a conversation like this? Right? We have those kind of conversations. That's not a conversation. So what we're going to do is we're going to lay God's word before us. And that's really my other goal. Everything we want to come to this morning and over the next four weeks, as we always hope we will, is what does God's word say about this to any degree, to a principle that we can live some thinking on and we can make some decisions on. And so ultimately, we're going to go to God's word. Now, again, as we're going to talk about this morning, God's word may not directly address that specific thing. I'll give you an example. God's word doesn't say whether you should get a 401k or not specifically, right? There's no verse that says, thou shalt get a 401k. It's not in there, okay? There's a lot of things that we deal with in life that are not clearly, directly, verbatim spelled out in Scripture. So what do we do with that? We get into God's Word. We look at the Scriptures that we think apply to that. So 401k, we're talking what? Finances, retirement, investing, wisdom, stewardship. So we start reading verses about those things. God's Word does talk about money, by the way. We talk about those things, we look at those things, and then we go, okay, based on this, I think wisdom would say, this is what I should do based on these scriptures. Does that make sense? But everything we do has to stay in context, okay? Uh, Everyone say, context matters. Okay, it does. Sandra showed me this t-shirt coffee mug. I'm going to order the coffee mug. I thought about the t-shirt, but it's a little too in your face. It actually says on this t-shirt and this coffee mug, it says, I can do all things through a verse out of context. I love that. I love that. I can do all things through a verse out of context, okay? We have to go, okay, God, we want to understand your word, but we want to understand it in context. The Bible says, the Bible says that when you get married, you become one flesh, right? Does the Bible say that, yes or no? The Bible also says that I beat my flesh daily. Out of context, we're in trouble, okay? Church history, people have done just that. Uh, Today, people do just that. They'll take verses out of context and and throw it at this or that principle and say, you can believe God to be a millionaire because the Bible says this, and they'll quote a verse completely out of context. And so we have to understand everything we're going to look at, we're going to try to do our best by God's grace, amen, and by God's wisdom. And we can ultimately, there's some of these areas we can even disagree on in application, okay? But we have to go, okay, what does God's word say? And then let's kind of work from there. And we can have a conversation. We may even disagree on things. You can be wrong. That's fine. Um, It's a joke. This morning, we're going to start our conversation with what would God say about politics? What would God say about politics? And that's about the result I thought I was going to get when I said the title. Um, Today's day and age, listen, here's what we know. In today's day and age, and I am going to sit because I want to kind of imagine we're talking to God this morning. I don't know if God drinks coffee. Okay, I was making coffee the other day, and and Josiah said to me, he said, you know, so like heaven, what's heaven going to be like and all this? And I was pouring a cup of coffee. He said, like, are we going to drink coffee in heaven? And I said, amen, we will. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, you know what? I said, we don't know. I said, we don't know. I said, obviously, it talks about the marriage feast of the lamb and all that. I said, but I don't know if we're going to eat food. I said, the glorified body won't need food to sustain itself. And he just kind of was like, that's not really the question I asked. But okay, that's cool. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. Okay. But I want to kind of walk this out this morning because as we talk about it, what, politics in our day and age today brings a lot of things to mind, brings a lot of emotions, um, understandably so. I heard someone say one time, because we've been taught as a, as a nation and as a culture, you don't talk about religion and politics, we can no longer have conversations about religion or politics. What I mean is we don't talk about those things. We tend to, in our culture, argue about those things. We fight about those things. 
religion or politics, whatever. Um, I think because we've taught people that you're supposed to just shy away from those conversations, we've taught people not to talk about those things, which leads to and understand the word used correctly, ignorance. It means you just don't know something. Okay? It doesn't mean you're dumb. It means you're ignorant. You don't know. And so we've got people wandering around our nation today that can't have conversations. And so what happens when you're not having conversations and you're just fighting and arguing? You're not being productive, right? There's no positive coming out of that. But conversation that leads to productive results can be good. And so I want to jump in this morning. And I want to say that today in today's day and age, we see politics everywhere, right? Especially right now. What is this year? An election year, right? You guys have seen those magic signs pop up everywhere. Okay? It's amazing. It's like they're not there within 24 hours, 4,700 signs in someone's yard. It's amazing how that happens. Okay? It's like construction barrels in Michigan. They just appear. You don't even know how they get there. You never see anybody put them up, but they're just there. Okay? Uh, this week, I believe, uh, Tuesday is the primaries, right? Is that correct? For Michigan? And so as I was praying over this, I thought, Lord, I'm not really a pastor that likes to kind of just get really into one specific topic if the Bible doesn't really get into it. But I feel like we can take a break and kind of step back and say, okay, this is something kind of current for our day and age. And so I want to lay out before you kind of what does the Bible say, if anything, about politics? What do I as a believer, as a Christian, how do I approach that area of politics? And then really, how do I take my Christian worldview and go into the voting booth and have a peace and a comfort in what I'm doing? How do, I, how do I harmony God's view and, and Christian values and morals and things that I believe and harmonize that with the right and the freedom we have as Americans to go into that voting booth? And by the way, many of our brothers and sisters all over the world, they never have to battle with this, right? Because that choice isn't given to them. They don't get the privilege of voting and going into a voting booth and having that freedom. So they don't have to ask these questions. We, however, we've, we've been blessed with this freedom. And so we want to kind of ask that question because I feel like as Christians, there's a couple key things we have to know, and then we allow God's word through grace and wisdom to apply them to us specifically. All right? So again, the objective for today is not to tell you what candidate in any race to vote for. That is not my objective today. So if you're sitting there going like, okay, sweet, I was really concerned. I wasn't sure which way to go. Go, pastor, tell me who to vote for, and I'm going to write it down. It's not my objective today. That's not what I'm going to do. Really, the reason I'm not going to do that is really two-part for me individually, personally. I know a lot of pastors, uh, a lot of churches maybe that will lay out specifically. They'll say, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. I've just never been that kind of pastor. I've never been that kind of Christian. Unless God's word specifically says, you need to do this, or you need to do that. Um, I don't believe as a pastor my role, according to Scripture, is to tell you who to vote for in an election in America. I don't think that's in my job description. Um, there's a couple things in my job description that apply to my ministry. A couple of those things would be uh, preaching Christ and making disciples. That's, if you had to kind of put everything in a nutshell, my job as a pastor, as your pastor, is to preach Christ, to make disciples, to lay God's word before you, the whole counsel of God's word, in context, because context matters, and then allow God's Holy Spirit to take what I've laid before you, apply that to your heart and mind, and now you begin to live out this Christian faith. I'm called to lay this before you and say, here's what God's word says. Now go. I'm equipping you for the ministry of Christ. That's my job. That's my job description. I have to summarize it. A couple of verses that kind of speak to that would be Ephesians 4. You don't need to turn there, but you can jot it down if you want. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Um, talks about that he gave pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry to equip and edify, to build up the church. 
Um, also in John 21, 15 through 22, we see this amazing back and forth between Peter and Jesus. This is where Jesus is kind of restoring Peter. He denied him three times in one night. And Jesus tells Peter to feed my sheep a couple times in that passage. Um, this is kind of fulfilled, uh, starting fulfilled in Acts 2, 14 through 41, where Peter preaches the sermon on the day of Pentecost. He's taking the truth of Scripture and he's feeding the Jews that have come right? Even anyone in the crowd, he's feeding them this truth. He's giving them the bread of life, right? So he's giving it to them. Now that starts the fulfilling. Then we get to pastors and teachers who are also laying before people the word of God. And that's why the Bible calls pastors under shepherds, okay? To care for the flock, to feed the flock of God, to lay the word of God before them. Um, Again, this is fulfilled in Acts 2 by the preaching of the gospel, people receiving Christ. In principle, it continues when pastors preach God's word and, quote, feed the sheep of God as an under-shepherd. So that's my biblical understanding of a pastor is it's not really for me to dictate to you in this platform, in this setting, who to vote for. They give you a name and all that. Now, if you want to have a conversation, you want to ask me some opinions about some things, we can have a conversation about that. But I'm not going to tell you as a pastor, go vote for this person. I just don't feel Scripture gives me that ability, okay? Uh, I, have an, I know who I'm voting for, don't get me wrong. Um, and for me, it's a pretty clear choice, but I'm not you. So I'm not here to do that for you, okay? Um, also, as an American citizen, I've never, as long as I've voted, I've never felt it was my job to tell somebody who to vote for. Uh, it's an amazing freedom to vote, is it not? And we were blessed, amen? Uh, people have given their lives so we can actually cast a vote. We have a hand in choosing our leadership, Okay? Now, what do we do some years? We look at the election and we go, this is it? This is what we got? Can we be real for a minute? I mean, like, like there's some, some years I'm like, this is the best we got? This is 330 million people. These two? You know, and I'm not saying necessarily this year. I'm just saying many years, okay? Um, so we have those moments. I feel like kind of we're in the, towards the end of the book of Judges. This guy, this guy's going to lead us? Really, Samson, God, that's your man, okay? You got a little bit of a temper problem, a little bit of a lust problem, okay? But he's your man, okay, all right. I guess we're just going to go with that. So I understand that there are times we feel that way, but as an American, I believe you, as an American citizen, have the rights to cast a vote for who you believe would do the best job in this or that position as an American. Um, so kind of biblically, we're here, and I'll step to the American realm. I don't get the right to dictate to you who you should vote for because it's your freedom, And I can't mandate to you, you use your freedom as I see you should use your freedom because that's not freedom. You guys get me so far? So I understand, kind of just want you to know where I'm coming from at the onset of all of this, okay? And again, so just kind of put that in that picture. So in that stream and thinking about that, I want to look at this verse in Matthew chapter 22. Kind of gets us along these lines and talking about this this morning. Matthew 22 and verse 18. Really popular passage, and I'm going to take a part of this and kind of Use it as a principle for what we're going to build on. So Matthew 22 in verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness. I encourage you to read the whole passage to get the context of everything. But basically, they're kind of setting Jesus up with a question. So someone comes to Jesus and they want to ask a question about paying taxes to Rome. And what they want Jesus to do is they want him to say either, no, don't pay the tax, and now Rome's going to be all over Jesus' case. Or if he says, pay the tax in a way that seems to support the oppressive Roman government, well, then obviously you're not for us. You're not for the Jews because you're for the Romans. Okay, you're on their side. So it really was a question that, I mean, many of us would say it was like kind of a no-win question. 
Um, and in verse 17, he talks about that. Is it okay to do this? Uh, verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness. Remember, he sees your heart. He sees our hearts. Man, that's a, that's a, a sobering reality. Like what you're thinking right now in your heart, Jesus knows. If that doesn't send little like shivers down your spine every now and then, man, I don't know if we really believe that. Because I know my heart, and the Bible says it can be desperately wicked. I know I have thoughts that aren't very Christ-centered, and he knows that. Look what he says here. And said, why tempt you me, you hypocrites? Now there's some that say, because he's going to ask a question about give me a coin, uh, because this individual has this coin, it shows as though they've received payment from Rome which would mean that they're actually for Rome in a sense. And so he's calling them hypocrites that way. But also it could be because they aren't living out the spirit of the law either. So look what I was going to say here. Show me the tribute money, and they brought him a penny. And he saith unto him, wouldn't you love it if your taxes were a penny? Amen. What tax bracket you in? One cent, man. I love it. Okay. Show me the tribute money, and they brought him a penny. That's not really a penny, but anyway. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and subscription, meaning on the coin, okay? Who do we put on our money for the most part? Dead presidents, right, okay? So those images is what he's meaning. We have a head of Abraham Lincoln or whoever, right? It says, they said unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. What's the answer to the question? Do we pay taxes or no? Yeah, okay. He's saying, hey, it's his money is basically what he's saying. Give it back to him. And unto God, the things which are God's, when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, I don't know about you, but I really wish he would have said, no, don't pay taxes. Okay, that would have been a great question and answer session. But we need to take from this a little bit of a principle. Could Jesus have used this opportunity to incite a revolt against Rome? Do you think the Jews wanted to revolt against Rome? They did it all throughout the intertestament period. Study the history there. Time and time again, they tried to raise up against Rome and fight Rome and fight Rome and throw off this oppressive government. Was the Roman government good for the Jews? Yes. Provided a lot of infrastructure, roads, commerce, currency that can be used in different regions, so it made them more successful. But ultimately, Rome was an, a, a controlling force. The Jews weren't really free. They had some freedoms, but they were limited. So here Jesus could have used this as an opportunity to incite a revolt, to get a riot going, get everybody fired up, let's overthrow Rome, because that's what I came to do. But the problem is, is that what Jesus came to do? No. He came to be the sacrificial lamb, to surrender his life on the cross, to die for the sins of the world, to be rose again that one day we could find faith in Christ and be saved and be with him for eternity. So in principle, Jesus doesn't use this to antagonize and fire up the people against Rome, he in fact says, hey, in this area, it's okay to go ahead and submit and surrender that tax money, that tribute money, to Caesar. Jesus gives us a hint of an answer to his view of politics. Now again, we're taking a principle here, all right? But here's what I want you to understand. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It's almost 1130. I don't know that we're going to get through all of this, but we're just going to go. So hold on, buckle up. And here we go. If Jesus was sitting here today, and you're having coffee with Jesus, and you were to ask him, Jesus, what's your view on politics? I believe the answer would be something like this. It doesn't matter what type of government we live under. Understand that. The government we live under doesn't matter. 
in regards to my role as a Christian. I really think we got to get this. I know I got to get this at times in my own life. It doesn't matter the type of government we live under in regards to my role as a Christian. In this response, Jesus doesn't use it as a chance to incite a riot or spread the idea of revolt against Rome. Now, this doesn't mean the Jews couldn't of their own volition and their own choosing revolted against Rome and stood up and fought off this oppressive government. They could have done that. But that's not the point that Jesus makes here. That's not the emphasis that Jesus puts here. He emphasizes actually a much more important matter to those that were asking the question. He emphasizes a more important matter for us today. Here's the emphasis. It is more, he is more concerned with who is ruling over you spiritually than who is ruling over you politically. Jesus is more concerned with who is ruling over you spiritually. That's, by the way, self, sin, flesh, whatever you want to call it. He's more concerned with who's ruling over you spiritually than he is with who rules over you politically. He said in that very same verse, give to God what is God's. We've talked about this. If the money is Caesar's because it has whose image on it? Caesar's image. Then the, the next question this guy should have asked was, okay, what bears the image of God that I should give to God? Doesn't that make sense if you're reading the dialogue? That should be the next question, but that's not what he says. They just go, wow, that's an amazing answer. Conversation ends. We don't know how it concludes. But we know from studying the word of God, what bears the image of God? All of create the human beings, right? We, all of the created mankind, we bear the image of God. We are made in the likeness of God. And it has nothing to do with how you look on the outside. Has everything to do that makes you a person, unique in creation? You, care, you have a soul. You have emotions. You have will. You have intelligence. You can choose things, make decisions. You have a will to, to determine how you're going to live your life, to surrender to him or live to self. See, Jesus' point was, hey, listen, go ahead and give your tax money to Rome. I don't really care about that right now. What I really care about is, are you surrendered and committed to God? Are you sacrificially living your life unto him? Are you giving all of yourself to Christ, to God? Because that's really what matters in this moment. Because the, the religious leaders of the day, they were hypocrites. They weren't really living for God. They were living for self. They liked Rome when Rome benefited them, but they didn't like Rome when Rome didn't benefit them. They were hypocrites. So Jesus' point is, listen, stop asking me questions. Remember in Acts chapter 1? Okay, now, Jesus, now are you going to establish your kingdom? And he says, hey, don't worry about that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. You can read Acts chapter 1. I don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to do. Go be my witness. Go make disciples. The Father and I, we will establish the kingdom when the time is ready. You go do what I'm calling you to do. Go make disciples. Don't get concerned with these things is what he was saying. And so the first thing we must note is that my obligation is to Christ first regardless of the type of government I live under. Christianity has flourished for over 2,000 years under various governments. Think about it. For 2,000 years, the church has been around. And in the 2,000 years the church has been here, various governments have ruled over the bodies of Christ. Monarchs, socialists, communists, democrats, or democracies, representative republics, tribal leadership, all of these different forms of government have been in leadership or ruled over the church politically speaking. And yet, what has the church done in 2,000 years? It has flourished. It has not stopped. 
I mean, think of just the various things the body of Christ has gone through in 2,000 years. Think back to even some of the religious forms of leadership going back into the medieval periods where the Catholic Church was kind of becoming locked in with the leadership and the monarchs, and it was all about money and possessions and control. That form of leadership, guess what the church did during that time? Flourished. Every opposition the church has faced, God has given us victory over it. Yeah, amen. We should say amen to that because that shows us something we must learn today. I remember, I've shared this before, I remember back, um, I'm not picking on any certain candidate, I'm just telling you this is what was said to me. Before President Obama won his second term, uh, someone came to me and said, if President Obama gets in office, we should just close the doors of the church because it's just going to go downhill. What? You really think a human president can overthrow what God has been planning for thousands of years? Do you really think a human president can thwart the plan of God? Like, how little is your God? My God says, no way. My God says, I laid the foundation of the church. There's a verse I wanted to share, Matthew 16, verses 17 through 18. I'm just going to read it for time's sake. See, for the church to grow and to be healthy, it does not need the right kind of government. It will move forward because it is the promise of Christ. Here's what Jesus said. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, when he said that Jesus, that Jesus is the church, is the idea of the church, the truth of Christ being the Savior. He says this, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But what about this guy, or that person, or this woman, or that leadership? the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. See, the the church has flourished. We must know that the church will continue. Nothing will stand against the church of Christ because the church is not a building. The church is not a building. This is just the location to which we come to gather and worship. The church is the gathering together. Now hear me now. The church is the gathering together of the body of Christ. Those that have been saved redeemed, given, and indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. We gather together as the body of Christ to worship him. And we lift up the name of Christ. We can do that in this building, or we can do it as acts we see out by a riverside. Even in the early church, they would meet in the temple court sometime for service. They'd meet house to house for service. We're going to get into more of that in a little bit when we talk about what would God say about the church. So I'm not going to go too far down that line, but I want you to know the church will not be stopped by some political regime By the way, listen, when communism first came along and they started shutting churches down in in Russia and all those areas and pastors were being arrested and murdered and killed for their faith, you know what the church did? Continued. Strong. Trying to put churches underground, shut doors, arrested pastors. You know what the church did underground? Grew. That's strong. People were saved and baptized. We have got to stop seeing these things with human eyes. I get the concern and the frustration. Believe me, I do. But I'm telling you, if we don't stop thinking, let me put it this way. We're we're very egocentrical as Americans, aren't we? We see everything through the lens of America. God bless America. Well, God bless America. But 
We see everything through that lens. And so when things happen in America, we tend to think, oh, the world. God, what are you doing in the world? Is everything falling apart? Do you know that God is doing things in our world we can't even imagine? Revivals are taking place in places where you would never imagine the gospel going. And he's been doing it for 2,000 years. So let's stop thinking in the moment and step back and go, God, what is your global plan and purpose? What have you been doing? And by the way, what will you continue to do no matter what happens in the coming months? Because you promised you will build your church. So understanding that. So again, this is the groundwork. Understanding ultimately in my regards as a Christian, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? What is my job as a Christian? Preach Christ, make disciples, and live in a Christian way that will reflect the values and glory of God so that others will see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. But listen, we don't do that perfectly. Everyone in this room has stumbled and fallen. So when we fall, we cry out to Christ, we repent, we turn, and we trust in him again. Not for salvation, but for the renewal of that intimate relationship. That's my job as a Christian. I can do that no matter what the government is above me. By the way, people have done that in prison cells, and they've done it in freedom. Paul, in the, in the New Testament, he's sitting in prison writing letters to Timothy saying, I'm really happy with where I am because I'm, I'm an offering to Christ. And we see this, we understand this. And so understanding that, then how do I take that and harmonize that with when I go in that voting booth? Because we do have that freedom and that right, and we can use it. We should use it. Maybe you're at a point where you're like, I'm not choosing anybody because I just don't believe in anybody. Guess what? As much as I might disagree with that and say, man, I really think you should use that vote, that's your choice. I'm not going to dictate to you how to use your freedom. It's your freedom. I choose the vote because I believe it does make a difference. But you may be of a different mindset. That's between you, your heart, your conscience, and the Lord. That's not for me to dictate. But as we talk about this, how do we harmonize these things together? Here's the truth. How many of you would like it if there was like a Christian party? Like, you know, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Christian party. What if there was a, I mean, wouldn't that make it easy? You pull out your little ballot, mm, Christian, got it, done, good. Every way Christian, biblical, everything. Now, I know you might think, well, there are candidates who are Christians. Of course there are. There are plumbers who are Christians. There are teachers who are Christians. There are tons of professions that are Christians. Okay? So we understand there are Christian politicians. Okay? We need to pray for them that are believers because, man, they need to, they need to stand on Christ. I know it's difficult in their area of, in, of influence and their career path. But just because somebody is a Christian doesn't necessarily mean they do everything and would do everything according to God's word because none of us really do that fully. So my point is this. Republican is not synonymous with Christian. Democrat is not or synonymous with Christian. We have to understand that. And I've had people tell me, well, if you don't vote B.A., you're not really a Christian. Be very careful when you say, I know why we say that. Because things that this or that party believes and holds to in their platform, you would say, how could a Christian believe this or that or support this or that? I understand where they're coming from. But understand, you could be a Christian and believe a lot of things if you've not been taught the truth of God's word. You could be a Christian, fully saved, fully devoted to Christ. And I was just sharing with Wesley Proctor. We were down at the Creation Museum. And how many of you guys know Buddy Davis? You know who Buddy Davis is? He does DVDs through Answers in Genesis. Okay. Uh, he, I guess he was going to be a musician, ended up going a whole different route. Uh, and Anthony, when he was like five or six, we got these little DVDs about dinosaurs and stuff. Really cool, awesome stuff. Creationist point of view. Really good stuff. He happened to be there the day that we were there at the Christian Museum. And so uh, we got to meet him, and Anthony got his picture with him and stuff. It was really cool. But he was sharing his testimony. 
This guy is probably one of the biggest creation science guys in the world. He travels all over speaking. He sculpts all the dinosaur sculptures at Creation Museum. He does that. Amazing, talented guy. Do you know he was a believer and fully committed to evolution? Had never even considered the fact that God created everything the way that the Bible says it does and did. Fully Christian, fully devoted to God, but gave no credit to God for creation, believed only in evolution, until he was exposed to some information from God's word and exposed to some truth, and God began to work on his heart. He changed his view, had a dinner with Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis. Ken Ham hired him, and now all these years later, he's one of the most well-known people from Answers in Genesis. But how can a Christian believe in fill in the blank? Has anybody sat down with them and one-on-one explained the word of God to them in a loving and compassionate way so they would understand truth? Or have they had somebody in a spiritual influence in their life just mislead them and misinform them? So let's be careful. I get why we say those things. I understand. I really do. But let's be careful there. You can be a Christian and believe a lot of things that aren't true of God's word if you've not been discipled and taught. So what's the answer? We do what we're called to do. We preach Christ and we make disciples and we encourage people through truth. Not emotion or fear, but truth. And we let truth be spoken in love. And so since we don't have that party, we can just walk right in and punch the little thing and we're done. How do we compare these two things? How do we harmonize these things? So Christians and voting, real quickly. Christians and voting. I feel so weird sitting here, but I like it. It's kind of comfortable. So hopefully you guys are good with this because we're going to do it for four weeks. Um, I used to think you have to be a certain age to sit and preach. You got to like work up to that, you know, like Charles Stanley. When he sits down, I'm like, he can do that. It's Charles Stanley, okay? All right, anyway, so Christians in voting. Here's the truth. There is no clear scriptural command, right? We don't have a clear scriptural command. Thou shalt vote for party. It's not there, okay? So, so what do we do then? Because the political climate of the New Testament is obviously very much different than our American government, I cannot take you to a specific verse that says this or that about which party to vote for. Remember, God's idea was that he would rule his people directly, right? Wasn't that the plan? God would rule his people directly, but then what did the people want in the Old Testament? We want a king. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. You don't want a king, God said. (laughs) Trust me, you don't want a king. That's wars and taxes and tributes. Okay, you don't want a king. We want a king. You don't want a king. We want a king. Okay, fine. Give them a king. They pick a king. That worked out well. And then God said, here, okay, I'll choose a king now. You notice that God doesn't remove kings? He doesn't say, okay, fine. It's all done with kings. You had your one king. He failed. We're going back to me. Nope. You want it? I'll continue to do this. But now, watch. If you let me lead, this is the king I would pick. Was that king perfect? Murder, adultery, lying, deceit, not perfect. Man after God's own heart, that's funny. And he repented, he turned back to Christ and trusted back to God and trusted in God for all things. So we see this idea, God's ideal situation was we are led by him alone. By the way, isn't it amazing today, no matter the government, we have the Holy Spirit in us and the word of God before us. Who's leading us every single day? We are under the direct leadership of God. I don't need It's great to have a Christian president, a Christian leader, a Christian governor, a Christian senator. That's good and great, and I'm I'm all for that. I don't need that leader to tell me how to live this life, though. This can tell me how to live this life and to make decisions that honor him. So we are living, by the way, in God's ideal in this side of heaven. One day, we'll live it to the fullest in his heaven, in his kingdom. And so understand, Christians in voting, 
I do believe there are some principles we can glean to form an idea of how to vote from Scripture. Okay, so we're talking about what does Scripture tell us about some things that we should look for in our leadership, that we can look for in someone that we hope would do a quality job in that position. As followers of Christ, as we said a couple weeks ago at the end of our He's Still Got the Whole World in His Hands series, we, by His overwhelming grace, we live out kingdom values in a world of unhappy endings. We want to live out these kingdom values. So what are those values? What does that look like? Let me give you just some quick things to kind of give you an idea here. I'm not going to list all the values and all the morals we should be looking for. I'm just going to give you some basic principles. Jot these down. And I believe by doing this, you'll discover these truths, okay? So the first thing, what should we do as we're considering our vote, who to vote for? First thing, pray. We have to pray. We have to pray for wisdom and guidance. If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God. We need to pray for wisdom. God, give me your wisdom. Don't, don't think first about party lines or media or campaign ads or any of those things. Even policy necessarily first. We can think about those things, but first, God, I'm praying. God, I want your wisdom. I want your guidance. I want your direction. You give me wisdom in these things. Second thing we can do, we get in the word. We get in the word of God. As you spend time in God's word, you will discover the values that Christ desires for us to live out. This then will give us insight into the type of leader we can support. Again, realize not one will fit it perfectly. So we're not saying 100%. We're saying, okay, if, if I should be honest, because the Bible says to be honest, then I want my leader to be honest. The Bible says that I should be compassionate, then there should be some level of compassion. If the Bible says I should base my thinking in wisdom and truth, then I want wisdom and truth. You guys get where I'm going here? So we kind of start to think through these things. We get in the Word of God. Okay, what are some things, okay? For me, honestly, personally, I believe the Bible says the sanctity of human life is important. So I, that's, that's for me. I want to make sure that's true. By the way, that doesn't just mean before a baby's born. I want someone that's going to think about the quality and the sanctity of life after someone's born and think, man, how can I help people? This means I'm not just going to run headlong into war because I feel like it. You guys get where I'm going? I'm just going to waste life or, or not consider the value of life. So for me, that's a value I believe God's word expresses. And there's just many, many others. And so we get into God's word and we begin to understand this. Not perfect candidate, no such thing. But we say, okay, who in this situation would fit these things? Which would lead us to, I would encourage you to write down the values and the things you believe the Word of God says we should live out so there I know what I should be looking for. Write it down. Write down what you believe is important for that person to hold to, meaning things the Word of God has taught you that's important. And then compare that list to that candidate. Now again, you might say, well, how do I know all this? I don't know all these things. Well, you're not going to know all the things. But you have to do some homework, some research, look into people, look into individuals. What do we know about them before we vote for them? Again, if you don't know all of it, make the decision with which you believe is the best decision you can make with what you know, which leads to discernment. So pray, get into God's word, write it down, and then that leads to discernment. Be careful to look beyond commercials and the hype of a candidate, but do some research and seek out how you can know what this person truly would or would not do. Now, sometimes we don't know that, as I said, but we do our best. And then the last part I would encourage, have conversations. Alluded to this a little while ago. Again, key is conversations. Ask people that you trust spiritually for their wisdom and insight as to what you should be looking for in a candidate. Don't just go, who are you voting for? Great, thanks. I'll vote for them too. No, say, what are you looking for in a candidate? 
What do you think is important in a, in a candidate in this position? What are you looking for in this person or that person? What about this or that person do you think is good or not good or whatever? Have conversations. Again, the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And so we have been blessed with the right and the freedom to contribute to the ongoing leadership of our country. This is a great privilege, and with it comes an opportunity to express our values in those candidates. So I'd encourage you to do this. If you had to summarize it, and maybe many of you have heard this, this is what I've lived under uh, since I've been voting. I would encourage you to vote morally, ethically, and biblically as a follower of Christ. So again, how do I do that? Spending time for discernment in God's word. Again, it, it may or may not fit a party. It may or may not fit a person. I don't know. I'm just saying if we do that, I really believe then when we cast our vote, we at least individually know whether that person wins or not is irrelevant. If I know I made the choice that I believe was God leading me to make this choice based on these things, then I have a peace. God, I have a clear conscience on this. I voted for who I really believe would do the best job with these values in mind. Okay? So we have to do that. Now I know some people would say, well, you've got to pick the lesser of two evils sometimes. Just pick someone so that this person doesn't win. Again, you can have that view for yourself, but I don't necessarily, I'm not going to tell anybody to do that. Again, that's your choice. If you don't truly believe in the candidate, then don't vote for them. It's pretty easy to me. But again, sometimes we can hear all the noise, right? All the stuff around us. By the way, 24-7 news channels, I think, was a really bad idea. Anyone with me on that one? Man, it's so just discouraging sometimes. And so we think through, we pray through, we ask questions, we search, we pray, we ask for discernment, and then we cast our vote with the best knowledge we can. And here's the, I want to end on this. No matter who wins, no matter the results, we pray and we trust. We are called to pray for our leadership. Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy, turn over there real quickly, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I love this verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, I exhort you, therefore, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's basically just summarizing different forms of prayer. Verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority, that you may lead a quiet and peace, peaceable life in all goodliness, or I'm sorry, in all godliness and honesty. It doesn't mean that we don't disagree. It doesn't mean that we don't share different opinions. It doesn't mean we don't say, you know, I don't like this or that that's going on, because in our country we've been given the freedom to express those things. That's great and that's good. But I want to focus in what's the thing he really says. Man, we need to be praying for them. Pray for those in authority over you, because here's the thing: you can't change their hearts, but God can. You can't change the person's eternal state, but God can. And so we pray for those in leadership over us. Again, it doesn't mean we don't disagree at times. We can say, I would have done it differently. We can have conversations. I'm all for that. But we have to be praying for our leadership. Quick question. What type of government is Timothy under? Paul's writing to Timothy and says, pray for those in authority over you. What type of government is that? Most likely it was the Roman government, right? Is that, again... Was everything hunky-dory with the Romans? But Paul says, hey, start with prayer. Because that changes everything, even though it seems like nothing may change. Paul says not just to pray for them, but also what? In verse 1, 
to give thanks for them, to be thankful for them. That's hard. It's hard. And not just for our leadership, but for who? All men. For all men. Uh, That's a tough one. Throughout church history, the gospel has spread not just in spite of governments that are anti-God, but also because of them. People were looking for something that was greater and brought true contentment because their leadership was not fulfilling those needs. The gospel didn't just spread in spite of governments that weren't godly. Actually, when you live under a government that's oppressive, like our brothers and sisters that are living in horrible conditions right now all over the world, they are living under governments that are oppressive and they don't have rights and freedoms. And guess what? Longing for something greater, longing for something more, longing for true freedom and true peace, and they find it in the gospel. And you see how in the great plan of God, God doesn't make these governments be this way, but he allows it so that his glory will be known. It's amazing how God can use even heathen nations to bring glory to himself. So we are called to pray for our leadership. We are called to trust God in all things. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. We can trust that no matter what happens around us over and over again, he has not left you or forsaken you. One more verse. Daniel, you're going to write it down. I'm just going to read it. But Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says this. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. While we cast a vote, we know that God is at work. He allows these things to take place. And we don't always understand why, but we don't have to understand why. We trust that God is in control. This brings us great peace. There is a phrase that is repeated in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. Over and over again, we read this phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. Did Joseph have a perfect life? Sitting in a prison cell, sitting in a hole, getting ready to be killed or sold to slavery? put in prison because of something he didn't even do, did the right thing, got thrown in prison. But the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. It didn't look like the Lord was with him, but the Lord was with him. And I want to encourage you, the Lord is with you in Christ. Matthew 28, 20, he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And he is with you always. Let's trust him in all things. When things are great, and we are reaping the harvest or when things seem bleak and there is nothing but barren ground. I know that the climate of the world we are living in today isn't what we desire. But I will also tell you that's nothing new. The world is fallen and broken with sin. So why are we always surprised when that becomes evident in a culture? If we truly believe the gospel, then we should never be surprised when sin rears its ugly head. We're not... This is the result of Christlessness. When there's no Christ, this is the result. Doesn't mean we can't speak against evil and sin. Doesn't mean we can't fight for the rights of others that are being oppressed and being persecuted and being victimized. Of course we do. But we're not surprised or shocked. We trust God. The answer is simple. What is the answer? The gospel. Legislation can happen and be good and fruitful and do good things. We should, again, we have freedoms to go those means but legislation won't change a heart. Ravi Zacharias, morality cannot be legislated. But the gospel can change a heart. The gospel can change a person. I want to close by saying this. I know that the media around us, and again, please limit or monitor your media intake. I'm just going to be honest with you. It will rob you of your peace and joy if you're not careful. 
be wise in that. I know it wants us to believe that our nation is so divided and everyone hates everyone. (laughs) Is there hatred in our world? Of course there is because there's sin. Now, obviously that's true, but I want to share with you something that I've seen. God's been so good over the last couple of weeks. And I want to share with you something that I saw a couple of weeks ago here. It was so cool. Um, and this is not abnormal. We were at Outdoor Adventure in Davison, and a bunch of people were there in the pool, and people were swimming, and it was Sandra and I and our boys, and then Sandra's brother Ken and his wife Megan and their girls, uh, Brianna, Haley, and Emma, and, and they're all just in the pool having fun. Well, there was these, you know those little things you lay on in a pool? Not the real big ones, but just the little, like, bed-looking things. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, the boys and, and the girls were all climbing up on them and all that. They brought them, and and there was a moment where, where one of them got a little loose from the group. And so there was other floaties in the pool that somebody just brought and let all the kids play with. And so this little boy decided, hey, look, a floaty, right? And was climbing up on it. Uh, maybe he was four or so, something like that. Uh, maybe around Emma's age or a little younger. And as he's climbing up on it, you know, I, I'm guessing it was his dad. I mean, he was with him, watching him in the pool the whole time. And he was sitting on the side of the pool. And so uh, we look over, and I think it was Megan said, oh, I think that little boy thinks that's part of the pool toys. Because now Emma's, like, chasing it, right? Like, hey, dude, I want to be on the floaty. So, so she's trying to climb on it. The little boy's trying to climb on it. And it was kind of a comical scene, you know, these two little four- and five-year-olds trying to get on this floaty as it's doing all this, right? And they got their little floaties on and their arms, and they're trying to get on there. Well, they were by the, sh- the side of the pool, and the dad picks up the little boy, Again, it's a pool floaty, so it puts the little boy on there. As Megan's coming around, he picks up Emma and sets Emma on there. And so they're sitting on a little floaty. Ah, that's what I just heard. Ah, okay. It's cute. I'm like, wow, this is a really cool moment. We all chuckled, you know, as they're like doing this on there, almost knocking each other off. And Megan's standing there next to the dad who's sitting on the pool, and they're just laughing and kind of, you know, oh, that's so cute, you know. And, And it was a cool moment to see these kids just getting along. Now, it shouldn't matter... But the, the little boy and the dad were black. Did Emma look at the little boy and go, I don't want to ride this floaty with you? Did the little boy look at Emma and go, you're racist? Did the dad and Megan argue about whatever? Nope. You know why? Because maybe, just maybe, while the world is fallen and the world is sinful, and I understand that, creation is groaning, by the way, Romans. Creation is groaning for the return of Christ. But maybe, just maybe, it's not what we're told it is. Maybe there are actually the majority of people in our country that understand, hey, as a human being, we have intrinsic value and worth. And I just respect you as a human being. Maybe we can just look past those things and realize that the majority of our country gets along and can honor each other and respect each other and have conversations with each other. Maybe it's not all that we're told it is. And I wanted to end with that because I think when we talk about politics and our culture today, we're being told a very narrow narrative that not necessarily... Now, understand me. Is there hatred in our country towards two different races or four different races? Yes. When I was in Romania a few years ago, I was blown away by the hatred from the Romanians, the nationals, to the gypsies. Called them dogs put built fences and had dogs in their yards, literal dogs. And I asked the one pastor, why does everywhere I go have fences and dogs? And they said, because the gypsies will break in and steal all your stuff. They're both Romanians. They don't even physically look that much different. But just hatred. So yes, that's there. And I don't care what two people groups you put in the same room. It's going to happen at times. It's not a black-white thing. It's a human problem. 
And again, so we can enjoy the commonality, enjoy that it's not as bad as they say it is. We can actually get along and enjoy and respect each other and still disagree at times. But how do we deal with this other issue? The gospel. It's the gospel. How else will I see you as a created being of God unless I believe the word of God? And so I want to encourage you today with this like, kind of closing thought. No matter where you are politically, no matter where you are with everything going on, let's be surrendered to him first and foremost. Let's surrender our lives to him as the image bearers of God. Let's trust and pray. Let's use wisdom and discernment from God's word when we cast our vote. But then we're going to thank God for the opportunity to cast a vote, to be free. And then we're just going to enjoy the presence of God in our lives. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for today. And Lord, you know my heart, my prayer all week has been that I would lay before your people the word of God that we would approach this issue with a biblical mindset. And Lord, I know there's a lot going on around us today. I know there's things in our world, in our state, that I personally, I get frustrated with, Lord. I don't like everything that I see going on. I don't like every decision that is made. I don't, Lord, I, I would do it differently, but I'm sure I would fail. Lord, I know that we are in this room this morning, and I know there's some of us here today that carry a heavy load. A heavy weight. We're concerned and we're, Lord, I dare to say, maybe there's even believers here that have actually allowed fear, actually allowed fear to begin to dictate to them what they should think and feel. Lord, I pray that no matter what it is, we will not live in fear. Whether it's whoever gets in office in a couple of months, I'm not fearing that because, Lord, you're over it. You're sovereign. I can disagree, I can have opinions, I can have conversations, I can cast a vote. What I believe is a biblically, morally, ethically sound vote. But I'm not going to fear the result. Because, Lord, at the end of the day, your church will flourish because it's your church. And so I pray that as we go into this week, we look for opportunities to share your Christ, or share your gospel, to share Christ, that we would trust you in all things. We pray we'd get in your word, we'd ask for wisdom and guidance. And Lord, and, and how we talk to other people, I pray that we would speak truth and love. I feel like we live in a society today, I don't know if it's because of social media, I don't know if it's because of just the ease of just saying an opinion without thinking it through or having consequences of a reaction when you say it to somebody's face. But, but Lord, we live in a day and age today, and it doesn't matter who we're talking about, Lord, across the board. We just sometimes, we say things. Lord, I pray that we would use wisdom in our words. We can have conversation. We can disagree, Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. We can even be concerned and, and share those concerns, but I pray it wouldn't be based in fear. How can I fear when you are, as we've already sang about, made us more than conquerors? How can I fear where no weapon formed will conquer me, will, will overtake me? How can I fear when, when you are the God of all creation and you say that because of Christ, you are my heavenly father. How can I fear when the worst thing that can happen to me in this life is death and yet Paul says that's a gain because I'll be reunited with my savior. So Lord, in all these things, I pray that if there's somebody here today that is living in fear right now, allowed the cultural noise to rob them of their joy, I pray they'd come, bend a knee and say, Lord, I wanna just remind myself that you were over all of this. I'm asking for wisdom and guidance. 
I pray you'd restore to me the joy of my salvation. Help me to be aware of what's going on to make wise decisions, but help me to limit it to the point where I, I spend more time with you than I do before the news. Father, you be glorified in all of this. And ultimately, Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, I pray they'd come to know you. Because it's not church going or being a good person that leads us to heaven. It's accepting the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's believing that I'm a sinner, but that you died for my sins and rose again. That if I would confess, confess your gospel and believe by grace through faith that you've, that you've saved me through your resurrection, you saved me through the cross, that I would be redeemed and forgiven of all sin. If there's anyone here, Lord, that has not done that, I pray they do that before they leave this room. Maybe they would talk to somebody before they leave and ask some questions. Father, in all these things, we ask that you'd be glorified, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you this morning, if you would like to stand, uh, if you'd like to come forward and bend a knee, spend a moment with the Lord and just say, Lord, I know there's some things pulling at me. Maybe you want to come. Say, Lord, help me to trust, pray, believe that you are sovereign, that no matter what happens, I don't have to like it, but I'm going to know that you're with me because the Lord is with you if you are in Christ. Maybe you would pray and respond to him this morning. However God is leading, would you respond?